Hey, good morning. I'm so glad y'all are here today. I don't know where everybody went that was here last week, but I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> don't worry, we'll see them at Christmas or maybe next Easter, but I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. It means the world to us that uh, folks show up week after week after week. And uh, I got to tell you, I mean, I, I love this church. I, I love y'all. And uh, the folks I get to serve beside are just some of the greatest people on the planet. And it's just, it's an honor. Today, I want to launch this teaching series entitled Confessions of a Recovering Christian. And I want to be clear, there's, there's nothing... Uh, there's nothing controversial about this. There's nothing. It's just most of these are, uh, or all of these actually, in some direction in my own life is where the Lord has, uh, has shown himself to give me great correction and redirection in most of my life. And uh, I want to welcome you to, to this series. I grew up in Rhode Island and in Daytona Beach, Florida on the ocean a lot and I don't know what it was about those two places, but it feels like everybody I had was Catholic. I mean, it's like every dude I played with was Catholic, you know? And it was like, man, uh, when Friday came, I was the only one eating a burger, you know? <laughs> Which was cool with me, you know? But I also became very familiar with the concept of confession. And I've had the privilege to introduce a lot of Catholic folks to the freedom found in the fact that we have the opportunity to speak directly to the God of all creation, that, that you don't have to go through me as a pastor or a priest or a rabbi. I mean, we, we have the privilege of speaking directly to the God of all creation. And uh, in our past week with Easter, man, what an unbelievable time. We, we had more than 10,000 people participate in our online communion on Monday, Thursday, and a great crowd here for Good Friday, which turned out to be just an, an unbelievable service. But the graphic on that day uh, you had to look real close behind it. It was a picture of a curtain that was torn. And it was a picture of the fact that when Jesus gave his life for us in the atonement of our sin, that the curtain that surrounded the Holy of Holies in that time, that literally it had been torn, and now anybody could approach God. Uh, they, they weren't in need of a priest or a pastor or a rabbi. They, they could come and speak directly to God. And in your life, I, I want to encourage you with this one truth. No matter who you are, where you're at, one of the greatest things in the Christian life is the recognition that we have the opportunity to speak directly with God. That the, the prayers of a righteous person avail much. I find myself, the older I grow, the more and more I pray. And it is almost as though it feels like, Chuck, why did it take you so long to discover the incredible experience of both talking to God and maybe more importantly, to hush and listen to God? But in this relationship with Jesus, I've discovered the most blessed opportunity to be able to be with him, not in need of a confessional booth or even a priest or pastor. And one of the things while writing this series that I was reminded of was genuinely that God, the creator and sustainer of all life, he loves to chat with his kids. He cannot wait for us, his favored creation, his masterpiece, 
to come before him knowing we need no assistance in holding that conversation with the matchless and overwhelming goodness of God. He has all the time, literally, he has all the time in the world for you. I just find that awesome. I, I'll, I'll never forget as a kid, uh, I was saved at age nine. And uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating what you think about God when you're nine, 10, 11 years old. And one of the things that always baffled me was, okay, so how is it that God could hear me and hear Kevin and we're praying at the same time, totally different issues. How can God hear both of us, much less answer us individually? How in the world could somebody do that? Because honestly, still to this day, I can't hold a meaningful conversation while there's music in my ear. I, I, I cannot have a worthwhile conversation while I'm watching television. My brain does not function that way. I know some of y'all can, but mine doesn't. Yesterday, Jen and I were in the garage and we were doing our once uh, every couple months. We have gotten to clean this mess up. And so, you know, we live right out there on the edge on Saturdays and we work in the garage. And so we got out there and we had a little music playing and uh, I, I, I literally just said, hang on, I just got to turn the music off. I, I can't listen to both at the same time. I know y'all don't have that problem, but I do but I couldn't fathom how could God hear me and somebody else at the same time. And I came to understand that there are some things like that I'm never going to understand. As a matter of fact, could I give you a pass on something that this pastor has learned to give a pass on? And that is this, there are things in the ways of God that are mysterious and I am never going to understand with this human brain. There are things in the ways of God that I'm never going to grasp and I'm never going to be able to understand, much less explain. But could I just say to you, the wonderment of God never grows old. The fact that there are mysterious things about how God could do all that simultaneously, I just have learned to grasp hold of and be comfortable with the mysteries of God. I'm glad to know that his ways, his promises, his joy, that everything he offers us, I am so grateful that he is not limited to a human brain. Aren't you? Amen. I mean, seriously, if it were limited to our understanding, we're in trouble. This series was birthed out of, out of a, my heart during years of anxiety, struggle, at times anger, depression. I think it's been pretty chronicled over a five or six year stretch. I watched my wife, my dad, my mom pass away, and I preached all their funerals. I, I lost everything I owned, and I mean everything, houses, properties, cars, trucks, boats, every single penny of savings, and every dime of retirement. I was the poster child for the old hee-haw song, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me. Do y'all remember that song when you sang it with a real twang? Sing it with me. Gloom. No, y'all are singing it without the twang. You gotta sing the twang, you ready? Gloom, despair. Agony on me. Are you with me? All right, now, if you're under 40, you're like, why would you watch that show? And, you know, honestly, I look back now and I think I have no idea why we would watch that show. It was the most ridiculous thing. Anyway, I was the poster child for it. And do you know what I'm good at? I'm good at whining and pouting. Are y'all good at that? I mean, like, when things don't go my way, I'm telling you, man, it's like, oh, boy. I mean... I am so good at it, 
My problem is I'm married to a woman that has no room in her heart for that. But in that season, I learned some extraordinary lessons. I learned what mattered most. I learned what mattered most to God. I learned what it was like to be in a corner with nowhere to turn but God. And if right now you're watching online or you're in this room, I want you to know if that's where you're at, you're in great shape. I, I learned that when there's nowhere to turn, God might have you exactly where he needs you. He might have you where he could do his greatest work in you. Now, I want to be clear. I, I was so arrogant, so self-righteous, so terminally certain that I knew it all. I thought I knew so much that I once saw God as a means to an end rather than the end in itself. I saw God as a heavenly resource that I could leverage for my gain. Y'all get the concept of leverage. It, you know, if you put a shovel in the ground and it hits a stone and you try to get on the edge of it, you try to leverage that and by force bring that up. Or in finance, maybe the ratio of a company's loan capital or the debt to the value of its common stock. Or maybe uh, to borrow capital as an investment, expecting the profits made to be greater than the interest payable, like a leverage takeover bid. Or maybe this is how I saw God for most of my adult life, to use something to maximum advantage the organization, in other words, needs to leverage its key resources. And honestly, I, I spent most of even my ministry career trying to leverage God. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I knew all about God. I was saved at age nine. I was in church from the time I was less than a month old. I was taught about God. But I, but I want you to hear your pastor, hear this confession. I didn't know God. I've also learned that this world is filled with folks just like me. I, I believe I'm in a room full of folks that are just like me, that you know about God, but maybe have no idea, no concept about truly, dearly, earnestly knowing God. Listen, friend, I, I'm not here to stir up any controversy. I'm not asking you to like or share anything on social media. I'm here today to tell you that I had it all wrong. I knew enough about God to understand that he had created the heavens and the earth. I knew enough to know that he made Adam and Eve, that when they sinned, I knew enough that he stepped into his own creation and has been doing the same thing ever since. He was about the redemption of mankind, men and women, his fallen creation. I knew that he looked at this world and this world needed a savior. I knew that he sent Jesus, the son, to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and that he gave his life, broken body, and shed blood, all offered up for the forgiveness of my sin and the sins of this world. I knew he rose from that grave three days later, and that he later went to heaven to sit beside God the Father, and that he left his Holy Spirit as a gift. He left it for us when we trust him for that forgiveness, when we call on the name of the Lord. I knew him as the God that didn't play cards, didn't drink beer, didn't smoke cigarettes, didn't cuss, didn't cut the grass on Sunday, and made me go back to church on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights for really terrible services and awful programs. I knew him as the one that owned everything but was radically unfair about how he shared his wealth. He was the God that really got angry 
if you ran in church, laughed in church, and especially if you brought a toy Hot Wheels truck into church. As I grew up, I began to get the bigger picture. He was the God that if I did the right things, he would deliver financial success in prominent position. And I knew he was the God that called me into ministry at age 15, but I said, no, thank you. God, I will never pastor a church. I urge you to be careful with what you tell God you will never do. But I knew, I mean, I was at a youth camp in El Paso, Texas. I was three quarters of a mile past nowhere. This guy had preached his guts out to a bunch of kids that had sleep deprivation and were jacked up on Jolly Ranchers. And they had people crying and coming to the aisles and giving their life to Christ. And I'm thinking, yes. And then this guy totally messed up the whole deal. He said, now I bet you there, there, there are guys and gals in this room that God would like to call to be in full-time vocational ministry and missions. And I'm thinking during the first song, that ain't happening. No. I saw my dad do that. There is no way under heaven I'm doing that. No. If I do stuff like that, A, I am never going to make any money. B, I am never going to be famous. C, I am never, ever going to watch my kid play their own ball game. And D, when you go on vacation, you have to go to some other dude's church. It seemed like a rational experience to me. So I, I said, no thanks. By the time this cat had extended the invitation on, third verse, here I am crying and blubbering, hugging this guy saying, I know God wants me to be in ministry. But I ran because there was no possible way. There was no way I could be the monitor and judge of all that is righteous and holy like the pastors I knew. I liked money. I liked making money. And I liked a lot of stuff that you buy when you make money that God must not have liked, according to my dad, my pastor, and my church. I was stuck. I liked rock and roll. I liked long hair. I liked weird people. I liked everything that my dad didn't like. And I went to church after church that told me why I shouldn't like that. And you know what I thought? What is wrong with you people? What could possibly be wrong with Leonard Skinner? <laughs> Honestly. Well, if you listen to the lyrics, possibly a lot. At the time, I wasn't worried about it. And then I blinked and I was on the staff of a rapidly growing church and God came alive, but not in a good way. God was the way I would treat my new ministry career just like I had my business career. I would leverage God to get a bigger, better paying role. And I would play like I loved God, but honestly, I still saw God as a means to an end. I used the right God talk and the right God action to leverage a better title and gain a little church industry fame, which by the way, is more fleeting than any fame on the planet. And guess what? It worked. Oh my stars. I was on the speaker's tour about how to grow your church. I had a network of preacher types and speaker types and church types 
that would pay me real money to tell them how to be just like me and have a really big church that was growing really fast and baptizing hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people. Now, I never told them that the CIA, the FBI, could never find most of those folks. But bless the Lord, we shared the gospel with a track and we got them in the water. You know why? Because that's how you climbed the ladder. If you wanted a bigger church, you baptized more people. If you wanted people to pay you to come talk, you carried around tracks and you told people about what to do. Now, you didn't have to give a hoot about them. You didn't have to care whether they ever showed up. You just needed to count them. You know how many people I have had to call and say, I am so sorry. I, what I did wasn't out of the motivation because I was concerned for you. I, I didn't share Jesus with you because I was afraid you were going to bust hell wide open when you died. I, I did that so I could put a notch in my belt and put a number on the board and be recognized that I was living like I thought Jesus people were supposed to live. And I leveraged God all the way to the chief operating officer of one of the world's largest mission agencies. I was important. As a matter of fact, if you knew me in those days, I probably made certain that you knew that I thought I was important. And I probably wouldn't stop until such time that you recognized that I was important. And then it happened. All the knowledge about God and all the rules and leveraging that I had done had not and could not have prepared me for what was ahead. It all started. Wife of 25 years, dead, check. Dad with no life insurance, no savings, but a pile of bills, dead, check. Mom with a losing battle with dementia, dead, check. Economy with millions of dollars worth of leveraged investments, gone. Savings, gone. Retirement, gone. House, cars, boats, gone. Watches, silver rings, gone. As a matter of fact, I am sorry for the global economic collapse of 2008. I really am, but I'm the reason for it. God clearly had enough of my foolishness and my sin-filled selfishness as I continued to try to leverage my knowledge of God all the way into a Jonah-like mess and the sea was about to swallow me up. Now here's the truth of where I was and where I think many of us get when we're in that position. I was taxing every relationship I had. I was sleeping less and less. I was worrying more and more. I was depressed, anxiety riddled, and completely overwhelmed. I was not fit for human consumption. And all of that cocky, self-centered, self-righteous bluster counted for absolutely nothing. You know, when you leverage people instead of loving people, they are not there for you when the wheels come off of your car. They aren't around when there's nothing left to barter or trade or leverage. As a matter of fact, all of those pastor types that I got to know and I leveraged a God talk with their relationship, when it stopped being some way that I could promote them or fund them or praise them publicly, when the wheels came off, they weren't anywhere to be found. Because when you leverage people instead of loving people, they're not for you when you're in the middle of the mess. It wasn't their fault, it was mine. I leveraged the relationship, I didn't love the relationship. Here's the greatest news I've got for you in this confession, are you ready? That may have been true for men and women, but it is not true about God. 
All the while, I'm levering, leveraging his relationship most. And all the while, he's saying, I just want you to love me, Chuck. After all those years of leveraging God as though he were an asset counted on a balance statement, he showed up and welcomed me into his love as though I was the prodigal son and the father came running to me after losing everything in my inheritance only to return home broke, broken, and totally, utterly worthless. But now I had one thing in my life. I, I actually found that I had several things, but I had one thing in my life that was all new to me. If you're in here and you're married right now, reach over and grab your spouse's hand. Just hold their hand for a minute. Do it lovingly. Do it sweet. Just hold their hand. I mean, do it like when, when it was something. You do your thumb like this and, you know, rub on their hand. Because, you know, that's the universal symbol for you're still hot, baby. Jenny does it to me all the time. No, she doesn't. Uh, I found something that was overwhelmingly certain, the fact that Jenny Allen loved me, and without even knowing it, she allowed me to get off the hamster wheel of a sinking life. She helped me stop leveraging God and start loving God. She helped me to stop the smoke and mirrors of knowing about God and started helping me to know him at an intimate level. And I, it was like I saw her for the very first time and I thought to myself, baby, you are a gift to me. I am so grateful for you. I am grateful you didn't give up on me when you should have. I'm grateful that you still led me into praying when I didn't lead our home well. Men, look at me. If you don't lead your home spiritually, your wife will. But you will miss the greatest blessing in the world by not choosing to lead your home spiritually. And by the way, to lead it spiritually, you need help. If you're married and you're sitting here next to your spouse, lean over to them, peck them on right now. Give them a, give them a kiss. I don't want any tongue in here. Just a little kiss. Go oh, ahead. Yeah. Baby. That was gross. All the confession led me to knowing with an overwhelming confidence, though, that God loved me through it all. I learned that God was for me. You say, well, Chuck, surely you knew that. No, I, I don't think I did. That God, God was for me. He is, he is for us. He is our biggest fan, and we are his masterpiece. I was shocked when starting to read Scripture for one reason and only one reason. I wanted to know God. I, I wasn't reading it to be able to say I did. I wasn't reading it to teach something. I wasn't reading it to put on my checklist or to tell somebody or to memorize something. I was just reading it because I wanted to know God. I, I, I am such an anal person. I am so task-focused with my life. I, I put a to-do list together for everything. Do you know what the first list is on my to-do list? To do a to-do list so that I can check it off. And I, I was treating my time with God like a check mark. Okay, God, I did it. Done. Way to go, Chuck. 
John 14, 15 was a rallying cry for the days of self-assured Bible thumping. I heard it with an angry God voice that thundered with fear and attacked with force when he heated, when it wasn't heated with great awe. Listen to what, this is how I heard it. If you love me, obey my commandments. And there were days I heard it worse. If you love me, obey me. I saw a bony finger of guilt point out of heaven right into my face, but I learned something. I learned the power of deflection because I found it so easy. Instead of that finger of guilt coming at me, it was so much easier to point it at you. Y'all are so messed up. You know what the problem is? I'm far more messed up than you are by light years. I was scheduled to speak at a conference. I was sitting in a green room waiting my turn. I was kind of halfway listening, but this guy ahead of me was from Austin, Texas, about 12 years older than me, and he shared that text. He was preaching on that text, and, and somehow when he read the text, it came out less guilty and less bony-fingered, and it, it sounded exactly like this. I went back, and I found him, and I found exactly what he said, and this is exactly what he said, and it changed my life and my perspective of God forever. Here's what it said. You know, child, when you love me, it'll be so easy to obey me. And I thought those are the same words, but it changed my life forever. God used that one small truth to change my heart, and I was on a mission. I wanted to love God, and I wanted to obey God, and I wanted the blessed life found in that obedience. I started devouring the text, and I needed a brand new start. I needed to know that God was far more than an asset on a balance sheet, that he was really for me. I'm sure I'd read it thousands of times, but not without any conviction. I read Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, where the scripture says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Listen to me. He's for me. He's for you. He's for us. And if he's in my corner, who could ever ever beat me down? If he's in your corner, who could ever beat you down? God gave me everything that is dear to him so I could know that he is for me. God gave you everything you need to know about him so you can know he's for you. It's not a matter of God being on my side. It was all about the fact that he welcomed me to his side. He drafted me fresh and new into a life of love and forgiveness and hope. This past week, we witnessed the NFL draft and, and, and young men and families just boohooed and cried and celebrated getting drafted into the NFL. Friend, listen, you got drafted number one into the kingdom of God. You say, but Chuck, I can't do anything. 
Yeah, you can. He said you matter. He's for you. He picked you. You weren't the last one in line. He said, come on, I'm drafting you number one into my kingdom. Listen to me, friend. He sent Jesus to die for you, to take on all your sin, to take on all of our selfishness. You know what? He took on all my self-righteousness, and the scriptures say that he is pleading for us. Jesus is praying to the Father. Get this. The, the Son of God is praying to God the Father that God the Holy Spirit would do a great work in your life. He has you covered by every side. He is for you. But it got better. I learned that God is more than just for us. He has had a plan for each of us to be wildly successful and prosper. I want you to get this from day one. Before we were formed, he was more than for us. He had a plan and a provision for us. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians or in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now remember, this is the same guy who said you can do all things through Christ. Who does what? Strengthen you. Now he said, but you could have it all. You get to have everything that is in God riches. How? Through Jesus. God looked at you and said, you matter so much, I'm going to give you my son who's going to die for you, be buried for you, raised from the dead for you, hang around about 40 days, and then is going to sit by the right hand of the Father to create a home for all those who believe. And watch this. And all the while, he's praying for you. Right now, Jesus is praying for you which means every time that you choose to go away from his will for your life, you are having to step over a praying Jesus to get there. He provides for us, friend. God will provide for your daily needs like food and housing and clothing. God will provide you with the help of the Spirit so you'll never alone. God will provide for you the way out of temptation. God will provide for you his joy. He will provide you with what you need to do his will. He will provide you his spiritual strength. God will provide you with eternal protection. You say, well, Chuck, where can I find those pieces of the Bible that you just threw out there? Well, you can join me every morning for the next 10 mornings, and I'll take each one of those, give you the scripture, and pray you through it on the weekday meditation. And you say, well, Chuck, but how do I get that? You get it on the app every day. You go to weekday meditation every day. You subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever your podcast platform in, and I'll break them down and pray with you every morning. And you say, well, Chuck, is this sermon about getting me to go there? No, this is about getting you to have a desire to know God because I know what it's like to know about him, but I want you to know him. He has a purpose for you. God's not only redeemed us and fights for and prays for and provides for us, he lets us make a difference. I told Jenny sometimes back, she said, what's the matter? What are you thinking about? I said, I want to count for something. All my efforts to matter to somebody were wasted on worthlessness. All of the efforts to surrender and allow God to matter in my life resulted in having the privilege of mattering to him and him using me in his plan to redeem the world. I mean, do you want your life to matter? I don't think any of you woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to not matter. I want you to imagine that y'all could have had, y'all could have had an unbelievable preacher, but you got me. You could have had somebody that was sweet and gracious and kind, but you got me. You, you could have had somebody who knew the answers to all these things, 
But you got me. And you know what that says to me? I am so stinking grateful you let me do what I do. Because there's nothing about my life that's worthy to do what I'm doing right now except the presence of Jesus within me. And he's worthy of all effort we could ever make. You say, well, Chuck, I, I want that. I want you to notice how counterintuitive and simplistic the Jesus life is. Matthew says in chapter 10, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You know how incredibly counterintuitive that is? I spent my entire life trying to tell somebody I was important. And all the while, all Jesus said was, turn it over, give it to me. You say, wait a minute, roll that back, Chuck. Yep. Instead of pushing your agenda and clinging to the hope that you're going to be received and accepted, instead of grappling with self-help, give up on your claim of fame and fortune and simply trust Jesus with all you have, with all you are, and guess what? You'll find a life that's filled with significance. You'll find life with peace, with hope, with joy, with promise. Now, not a life without problems. I got problems out, out, out the ears. But if you want a better life, are you ready? Stop, surrender, hand it over. You know why? Because God has a plan and a hope. He, he, he'll, he'll provide. He is for you. And I love this part. He also has a home for us. This place, like the old song says, we're just passing through. John 14, 2 says, There's more than enough room in my Father's house, as Jesus said. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Listen, friend, if you're living in an uncertain future, listen up. Jesus, the Son of the living God, has risen from the grave, beaten death, and is sitting in heaven ready to introduce you to your eternal home. Earlier this morning, Sylvia Malusian left this earth and planted her feet on streets of gold. She has the greatest Sunday morning of her life today. You know why? Because God is faithful that when we know him, he will never forget his promise. When we seek after him, we will enjoy his blessed faithfulness. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2, this is a trustworthy statement, he says. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Friend, listen, when everything in this world has gone wrong, turn over, stop, hand it all to him, do the trust fail, and fall into his arms. Because listen, you might have been where I was. I was more than happy to let my old Chuck die. I needed a better Chuck. I needed a new Chuck. I needed a God-centric Chuck. And friend, I came to realize that the one thing that I offered this rotten, stinking world, the only thing I offered was Jesus himself, not my version of Jesus, not some Baptist or other denominational's version of Jesus. Not, not what Andy Stanley said about Jesus, not what John MacArthur said about Jesus, just what Jesus said about Jesus, just Jesus. How about you? Have you leveraged God in your own self-righteousness? Maybe, maybe you were like me, you've been saved years ago, but you've just been leveraging God instead of loving God. Have you been clinging to the hope that you can do it all on your own when he says, you don't have to, I'll, I'll take you. Have you lost hope and feel like you're clinging to a cliff with a razor blade? Listen up, I got good news for you on this confession. I had it all wrong too. 
God is so for you. You are his favorite creation. God's provision for you is awesome. You have all you need. God's purpose for your life is filled with significance. He will, through you, let your life and make your life count. God has an eternal and amazing destination for you. Friend, listen to me. This world cannot provide for you, love you, purpose you, or prepare you like God will. His kingdom is where we are called to live and breathe and cry and laugh. He is whom we are to lean on, trust in, and seek with all our heart, soul, mind, and matter. I want you to get this. God is not to be leveraged or lessened. He is to be loved and he is to be adored. And when we choose to lose ourselves into his grand and glorious kingdom, the needs and despair of this world fade away into the distant past and we can reach for and lean into that glorious day of peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment. This is what it is to confess his name. This is what it is to confess that he is to be known. To know him is to love him. To love him is to trust him. To trust him is to obey him. Hear these words, friend. This is worthy right here. This was worth getting up and coming to you to hear this short paragraph. I am one and so are you in whom Jesus, the son of the living God, wants to live and delight and dwell in. I live in a strong and unshakable kingdom of God. And in his kingdom, I am never in trouble and all is well with this world. And friend, as a child of God, so are you. And all you have to do is claim it. Drop your struggle, end the misery, get off the treadmill of self and get on to surrender. Well, why? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. In this kingdom, we are never in trouble and all is well with this world. How about you? Is it time to get off of you going to do it and get on to, but he's already done it. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that you showed yourself in my life and I pray in so many others that we might stop and recognize a confession of our own that, Lord, the only thing we truly offer is you. The only good within us is your presence and the only hope we find is in you. God, call us into your kingdom that we might lean in and run to you. I'm so grateful that you are faithful, always faithful. That your word always accomplishes the reason for, for which you sent it, never returns void. So today, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe you're at home watching, maybe you're in a car, just right now say, Chuck, I want in on that kingdom. I want in on that surrender. I, I, I need to stop leveraging and I want to start loving it. Jesus, I, 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 I want you to come into my life. You've been praying for me now. I want to accept the fact that you died for me. You rose from the dead to pay for my sin. And I want you to come into my life. I want to turn my life around and live for you. And if that's the desire of your heart today, just lift your hand up so I can see. If that's the desire of your heart today, amen. 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 Yeah. Lord, with every hand that was raised, every hand that wished they'd raise the hand, and folks at home, 
God speak in their life that they would follow you in believers' baptism as you lead them. Give them the great desire of their life that you might step into their life and they might know you and you might make yourself so aware and you might make yourself in their life so aware that you have never, ever not been there, but that you might breathe into their life so that they might have a never-ending desire, even in the mystery of God, to know you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, I love y'all. Thank you so much for letting me share that today. And uh, thanks. One of these days, uh, one of these days, we're going to become one of those churches that folks talk back to me when I'm preaching. There was some going on I, today. I, I heard There's some, some man, that blesses me. After the kiss, that. Laura leaned over to me, and she's like, I like this sermon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Hello. I, Hello. I don't think that's what she said. <laughs> I think she said mint. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. You know those times, have y'all been here when Chuck's randomly just interrupted people on stage? Have y'all seen that? I would never do that. They just sort of come out and sort of. Are you of doing the, the same thing? I'm to me doing now? the same thing right now. Awesome! I've always wanted to do it. Well, you did. So, uh, two things that yeah. are very cool. One is uh, Sugar Hill Espanol is wrapping up their service right now, and as soon as they wrap up, they're going to come over here and they've got a baptism oh, wow. about 12:20ish, 12:15ish yeah. or something. So, if you've got some time and you can hang out, oh, um, be so cool. it'd be fun to be able yeah. to celebrate with them. But the that'd second cool. thing is. We've been in Imagine Zero for a little over five months now. Yeah. And if you're new to this, we, we, we've been praying what would happen if over a three-year period we were able to raise $2.5 million to help pay off our debt so that we could do way more ministry than we're capable of doing now. And so throughout this five and a half months, we've seen people get saved almost every week, baptized every, almost every single week. Groups have grown. Our prayer ministry has blossomed. But today we get to celebrate that as of this week, you guys have been super generous and given over half a million dollars towards Imagine Zero. Give it up. That's so huge. That is unbelievable. I, uh, and you know what came along with that? Yep. What came along with that was uh, as of today, like seven, eight years ago, our debt was $8.2 million. Yep. Yikes. As That'll keep you awake today, at night. Yeah, it did keep me awake at night. I, as of today, it's under $4 million. And that's so awesome. Give yourselves a hand. Yeah. And I think, I think we ought to have a party. We ought to have a party. In we fact, ought to have cake. You probably saw some cake out in the lobby. So if you haven't gotten cake yet, let's eat cake. Save Chuck a corner piece. But let's stand together real quick. We want to celebrate this today. Uh, yeah. Your generosity makes ministry and good things happen, but obviously yeah, all you. the glory is God, yeah. what he does. So let's celebrate that before we head out and then we'll have cake and then bring your cake back in cake. for the baptism. Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah, I am. Come on, church. Come on, let's sing. Oh God, the glory is yours. The kingdom has come and the battle is
make a way and make you your, your own path straight. He loves to do that. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment, contentment, because he is always good. And listen to me, you are always loved. And then let that same Jesus come around when his life is beating you up. Let him bend over so you can hop on his back and wrap your arms around his strong shoulder. Let him carry you through the middle of life's junk. Not around it, but I mean through it. So he can set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears. Kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you. So that you can hear your Savior say, My child, say it with me, I love you. Go eat cake and go in peace.